my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Yeah. You know what's so beautiful is to know that God will save anyone. I mean, he, he, all he wants is for confession, repentance. Um, you realize how badly you need him. And he says, he promises in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus says, no matter, no matter what you've done, no matter if you even blaspheme my name, if you are willing to confess and repent, I will forgive. And, you know, we, we were kind of tough on um, Ishmael's descendants, you know, the Arabs. And kind of we kind of even made it sound like they're hopeless. Um, I mean, they are a cursed nation, and, and we can see it yet today. But even an Arab... Um, if they come to know Jesus, they will. They will be saved. And we've been promised that anyone who comes in the name of the Lord, confess with their mouth, believe in their heart, they will be saved. So um, anyway, just so you know and remember that even though there's people who have been despicable, um, no matter what sin they've committed, to think that God will will forgive. So, but we have a heart lesson tonight, and we have been dealing with those three visitors, and one is the Lord, and the other two are angels. But I think, at least from what I can read, um, they were probably dressed like men, and yet um, Abraham knew that, he, that they were special, and Lot knew they were special. But um, they, they are sick of the Lord in the angels are there to, to now um, leave, leave Abraham and Sarah um, as far as you, you know now you're going to have a baby in a year. But now I have to do, I think the Lord is saying now I have to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, they turn, it says, when the men got up to leave, um, they were leaving, you know, the whole Sarah thing, you know, and God got the last word, and Sarah learned a big lesson, you know. I mean, obviously that she she um, thought she could sneak that one by. I didn't lie, I didn't lie. And the Lord comes back and says, yes, you did. And then that's the last we hear. So we know that, um, you know, when God's had enough, um, he will make his... Uh, will and his words and everything, no debate, no question, no more talk. I mean, and we'll see it again tonight. But now it says, when the, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see, to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children in his household after him to keep the 
day of the Lord by doing what is right and just that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. First, you read that, you think, maybe the Lord wants to spare him, you know, from, from watching that. You know, should I, should I hide him from that? Should I um, hide him so that he doesn't see? And the more I thought of that, I thought, you know, no, not the way he went and said, no, he's going to be the father of many nations. And he's got to learn this. He's got to be the perfect leader. He's got to know how I operate and how firm I am. And, and when I say I'm going to destroy, I'm going to destroy. And so I think when he asked that question, it's kind of a, something that we have to see, you know, um, the Lord wants Abraham and you and I to know these lessons. I mean, they're, they're, they're tough lessons. I mean, it's, it's hard to read stories like this tonight. I mean, to, to hear um, how how Lot acted, and the girls, and his wife. I mean, those were unbelievable stories, and yet they're in there because we do need to learn, believe it or not, from their terrible mistakes and their their self-centered lifestyle. So the Lord says, you know, should I hide him? No, 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 I'm not going to. He's the leader of, he's going to be the leader of this nation and many nations. And so this is going to be a learning thing. Then the Lord said, I'll cry and Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. Now, did you, I, I kind of I read that and I reread that. And I thought, what do you mean you 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 will come down and see? You know, but the Lord. I don't think He meant coming down from heaven. He's He's there already, and He's going to go in there, and He knows He. Did, we, we don't have to. Um, question whether he can't see or he doesn't. He hears that outcry. He sees what they're doing. He knows. But yet, it's like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to show them that I am close. I can see. I, I, you know, it's like maybe his presence. Maybe if I go down there and I show myself and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, sometimes when when we are so far away from the Lord, it's like you can almost hear the Lord say, let me just get real close to you so you do not forget who I am. Why, why did God say to Abraham after 13 years of silence, why did he start by saying, I am... God Almighty. Sometimes we forget who we're dealing with. And, and so here God is saying, I can get really close, and maybe then you will see I am there. I will, I will watch. I will hear. And then, you know, when, when so the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. You know, he stayed there before the Lord, and and he was thinking, like, do I dare, do I dare really talk to him about this? Because this was a burden. I think when when the Lord said, I heard their outcry, oh, 
simply mean it like about where does what outcry from who? And I thought it could even be from him, his own heart outcry. You know, when you when you think about, you know, when God created the world, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, it was perfect in the fellowship and the relationship with man was perfect. And 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 now, you know, you, you think, and then he saw no one when he came off the ark. It was all new and fresh again. And, and it's like, what happens? Sin and evil just multiplies so quickly. And I think even even God cries out like, where, what are you doing? Where are you with me? How, how can you how can you do this? So sometimes I think even in our lives, when we disappoint Him, I think we cause Him to cry, an outcry. What you know better. You know you've been taught. You're the Holy Spirit, my spirit is in you, ready to make sure you remember what you have learned. How can this how can this happen? I think he cries out in that. You know, maybe um maybe even um uh, the, there was some at first I thought, well, maybe there was some innocent people in there, you know, maybe they were crying out and saying, I can't hardly stand live in this these terrible cities. I found out later, nope, that wasn't the case. You know, maybe creation was crying out because of evil and sin and who knows, but the Lord heard that outcry and now he's ready to do something about it. And then then Abraham, he's getting right close to the Lord and he's ready to talk and he approached him. And he said to him in, in verse in verse 22, he said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? You know, maybe Abraham even thought there's got to be some good people in those towns. And he appealed to the character of God because, you know, God is just and he's fair. And he even has such a way of even asking the Lord a question like, will you, will you do that? Will you sweep the righteous with the wicked? What if there, what if there were 50? What if there was 50 righteous people in the city? Would you sweep it away and not spare the, the space for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? And I thought, oh, Abraham, this He's really, he's really approaching the Lord with such, not only with questions, but then this statement, far be it from you to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. He's got quite a case there. You know, I think he's re- he really is knowing how to work the Lord there. I mean, he is not just saying, how about if the earth's 50? He was giving them reasons why. It's not your unconditional love and your the way that you are. Would you really let good people, righteous people, be destroyed? Far be it from you, exclamation point. Well, not the judge, capital J, of all the earth do right. I think the Lord, you know, I mean, he, he heard that. 
button. I think he knew then, oh, did I get the right man for this job? He knows me. He knows my character. And Lord said, okay, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole city. And then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust. I mean, that's another beautiful trait, Abraham. That was so good. He, you know your place. God is in his place, and you are in yours, and you know it. Somebody, yet he's saying, I am nothing but dust, but what if the number of righteous is five less? Will you destroy the whole city because of, of five people? 45. So the Lord says, I find 45 there. I will not destroy. Once again, he spoke to him. What about, about 40? Okay, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found? He answered, I will not do it for, for, if I find 30. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just one more time. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. See, another instance where no more. No more. I mean, Abraham had said, um, okay, one more, one more. You know, I'm just going to ask one more time. But, you know, Lord knew. He knew. And he laughed. He laughed and enough, enough talk. So that was the end of 18. But now that horrible chapter of 19. And I asked the Lord so much, why is this chapter in Scripture? It's just so bad. It's so evil. And, and there, was, there was more times than I wanted to hear the Lord say, because you need to learn that. You need to know what sin is. You need to know that you can, you can even be a, a, right, you, a righteous person. You can even go to the cross of Christ and accept Jesus as your Savior and you can compromise, you can put self on the throne thinking, well, I got my ticket. Now I can live my life the way I want. This is an eye-opener because, see, I, I believe because Lot was um, Abraham's nephew, I do believe he was a righteous man. He knew better. If he didn't, he wouldn't say some of the things he did. But now we've got two angels arriving in Sodom, and Lot was sitting. Look, see, look, look how sin pulls you in. We we talked about it for weeks now. He started outside the city, and and you know I still say, you know, can't you 
figure that out loud that your wife and your daughters will be affected by that kind of environment? All he saw was that fertile land and what that land could produce for him, and he never considered his family. So maybe, maybe he did, and he said, oh, we'll stay out. And then we know they moved in, and now he's at this, the gateway of the city, which means he had authority. He had a position. He was a big shot in the town. And when he saw the two angels arriving in Sodom, there he is, you know, Mr. Big Shots at the city gate. He sees these two men, and he knows who they are. And look at that quick see. That's why I know he does know better, because he knows these two men. And he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. So look at his position there. I mean, he, he got up and, and instantly went prostrate to the ground with his face right smack to the ground and, and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. So he called himself a servant. Again, he knew better. He knew his place. And so um, he said, you can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. That wasn't unusual for uh, people to welcome guests into their home. That was normal. They, if a stranger came to town, if you had guests, they stayed with you. You welcomed him into your home. That wasn't unusual. This is when it gets unusual. But the two men answered, no, we will spend the night in the square. Then Rod insisted so strongly that they that they, that they did go with him and entered his house. So what was unusual was the intensity and uh, um, insisted so strongly. So they came over. They came over and he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. You know, all's going well, right? All's going well, but before they had gone to bed, this is what shows how bad those, those cities were, that her Sodom was. Before they gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. So that's why there isn't 10 Every man, every man, young and old, came and surrounded the house, and they had seen, they had watched these two men. That's so why I hear they're called men, so we know they are angel-like beings because they were men. And, and these, these guys, all this whole town of young and old men surrounded this, this house of Lot and said... Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. I mean, that is, 
this whole chapter, you think, well, boy, it can't get any worse than that. And then it gets worse and gets worse. But right now we have to deal with this. Every man surrounded Lot's house, and they had been watching. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they they thought, oh, we got we got two new ones. They look good. Let's have a party. I mean, I'm not making that up. They said it right there. This is what they were going to do with them. <laughs> and I know you think, you know, this elephant in the room. I'm sure you wonder, is she going to deal on that subject or not? Is she going to talk about that? I mean, we're all, we're all affected by it nowadays. You know, the whole lifestyle of the homosexual. And, and yet, I want, I'm just going to say a couple of things about it. For one, the, the major one, is that in Romans 1, I mean, we know from the Old Testament that God calls it an abomination. But in the New Testament, all you have to do, and I'm just going to tell you to read it if you ever want to hear Paul say the words of God, it's in Romans 1. So mainly, it's, it's God talking. But I also wanted to tell you that I, I did some searching, and you know, nowadays, you know, the, the homosexual lifestyle, an activist will say, oh, I mean, we're, we're grown by leaps and bounds, and 10% of the world's population are living in this lifestyle. And yet, a new study was done, and it was discovered in U.S. and England and France that it isn't 10%. Down deep, people know it's only 1.1%. And, and yet, they just talk so loud. And then, then the, word, the word gay... I mean, when we were kids, and we knew what gay meant. It was happy. It was happy. It was carefree. You know, it was it was just a, a nice word. You know, describing somebody or a mood. And you know, they've taken that word, and yet instead of being happy and carefree, that now that that word now is describing a people where there is more death disease, and suicide in. That's ironic, isn't it? To take a word that means happy and carefree, and yet now that's how they describe themselves. But in that little section of people, there's more death and more disease and more suicide. It's kind of like, we know it's not right. But someone asked me, what would you do? What would you do if if you had one, two, ten, if they wanted to come to Bible study, what would you say if they wanted if you if they wanted to come? And it, it didn't take me but a second to know how I'd answer. Come on in. Come on in. Because you know what song we sang it tonight just as I am without one plea. I mean, Jesus takes us the way we are. And Paul says, how are they going to know unless they hear? How are they going to hear unless someone is willing to tell them? And I'm thinking, you let them come in. But before any of us start thinking like, oh dear, oh dear. 
you know, their sin is, is so physical and right out there, but their sins, believe me, that you and I have, that all I can think about is you can walk in. I don't care what their lifestyle is. You come in, but we're going to open the Bible the same way. We're going to hear God speak in the same way. And you have a choice to make whether you're going to decide to follow Jesus or not, just like, like all of us. We've all had to make that choice, make that decision. Who am I going to follow? You know, it's so easy to, uh, to forget that in the Lord's eyes, if anybody has any kind of condition that they know is not right, and yet they do it anyway. I mean, even if an addiction, a uh, um, gossiper, critical spirit. I said yesterday morning, I said, I know a lot of you go out for lunch after this. And I just hope and pray that you have learned something, that when you go out, you are just as bad as what we're talking about tonight. If you sit around that table and you start putting people down and you start talking about them and you start, you start encouraging one another, you're putting them down. It is time we start looking at us and say, you know what, we are all sinners that need to be saved by grace. We all need our name changed we all need to come into the realization that that the ground is level <laughs> at Calvary, and there and there isn't one person that doesn't need Him every hour. And you know, it, it's just I think a principle that you know, you just let anybody come in here and. Let anybody open up the Bible. Let anybody read the lesson that we're, we're, we're dealing with and hear. And then they choose. And it, it's like I said, that person said, and then like any sin, if you are not willing to comply to God's standards and God's instruction, then that's your call. It really is that simple. I want to be able to know that anybody who comes here are going to hear the gospel of Jesus, his unconditional love for any sinner, and he can't wait to welcome them. But they have to choose to say, I come. I come. Lamb of God, I come. I mean, that, that verse, I mean, I think, too, I think, I wonder if John Newton, you know, he, he, he was a rascal. He was, he was pitiful. He, he had such a horrid life, and probably, you know, our blood would curdle if we knew what some of the things he did. But when the realization of Jesus came to him and he knew, he saw himself the way he truly was, to take maybe an old bar, bar song and start writing Amazing Grace, how sweet that sound. Because it saved a wretch like me. You know, I think a lot of people forget that that's really what we are. You know, I might have said this to you before and you've heard this, but one, one time I was asked to sing at a funeral of an old lady. 
her granddaughter asked me to come and sing. And she said, do you know Macy Grace? And I said, oh, yeah, I do. She said, well, it's my grandma's favorite song. She loved the Lord so much, and she, she loved that song. I said, well, I would love to sing it. And I sang that song, and afterwards, afterwards, this granddaughter was right up to me, and she says, how could you? How could you sing that? I said, sing what? She says, you called my grandma a wretch. She was a wonderful woman. She didn't understand. I said, well, yeah, she was a wonderful woman only because what Jesus did, but her condition before Jesus was a wretch just like you, just like me. And fortunately, it was a man like John Newton who helped us see how he knew his wretched condition, and yet God was willing to save. But here in this case, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Lot, and I'm, I'm watching him compromise, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, he, well, look what he says. He, he went outside to meet them. You know, he goes out there. He's thinking, oh, I've got to help. I've got to simmer this, these people down here, these guys. He shut the door behind him, and he said, look, at, no, my friends. Didn't, didn't you just stop and say it? Look, he knows those guys. I mean, he's, he deals with them every day probably, and he calls them you know, my friends. He says, no, my friends. In the King James, it says my brethren. I think that's even worse. No, my brethren. And then when he says, don't do this wicked thing. See, he knows that it's a wicked thing. He, he's learned. He, he, he knows don't do this wicked thing. And then, and then, look, I have two daughters. I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and, and you can do whatever you like to them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. What kind of guy can do that? What kind of guy who really knows better, but it, you can be so far gone? Now, I, had to, I just had to go and, and, and talk or think on the, these verses because I think Paul helped at least me to understand that, that there are so many people who, you know, are saved. They, they go to the cross and they accept Jesus and yet then they think that, okay, good, I got my ticket so now I can live my life however I want. It's not a new concept. But compromise, compromise will never ever cause you to end in the right place. In fact, compromise will eventually cause you to just lose, lose your testimony, your witness, when you're trying to play both sides. In this passage, in 1 Corinthians 3, turn that. I want you to turn to us. I want you to see that Paul wrote about this very fact, because I'm looking at this, this whole thing with Lot and how he's willing to, to do that, you know, bring his daughters out there to do whatever you want to them. I mean, what kind of man does that? And he's, he's a righteous man who knows better.
He proved that he knows better. And yet, he's so self-consumed. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace of God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. Paul loved to, um, he loved uh, telling the gospel story. He loved talking about what the gospel did for him. I mean, he knows he was a religious man. He was spotless when it came to obeying the law. And he, he was, he had so many credentials. And yet when he met Jesus, he called all that worth nothing. And he loves telling the story, and he was so visual. And he, now he explains the gospel by saying, oh, I have a foundation that, that has been laid. By an expert builder. And then he goes on and says, but each one should be careful how he builds on it. So, I mean, we sing about it. We, we sing cornerstone. We sing, I hope it's built on nothing less. On Christ's solid rock I stand. I mean, we sing it. We know our foundation is Jesus. But so many leave it there. And they forget that now we need to live out our salvation. And what we do with our life after salvation is going to is going to count. And so Paul says, we need to be careful how we build on that foundation. Because Lot here, you know, he, he knows better, and yet he's so caught up into the world and his own self. So I think this is a big lesson. It's possible. It's so possible. For no, found, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day, capital D, will bring it to light. So he's, he's, he's saying, um, you, are, you are building on this foundation, and what are you building with? And if it's out of gold and silver or costly stones, wood, hay, or, or straw, just know that all your life after you are saved, on that D-Day, on, on that, we know that that day is the judgment day. And we, we as believers, will not, will not, we have that foundation. We won't be, we won't be judged for sin. That's been bought and paid for. But we have to know that we are going to stand in front of Jesus someday. No, not judge for our sin, but we're going to stand before him and we're going to see his nail-scarred hands and he's going to look at us and we're going to look at him. And it's, it's, I'm sure it's like anything, you know, when someone has done so much for you, you just want to give them something back. 
And he's trying to show us, Paul's trying to show us that our life will go through our life after Christ. What we did with our lives after we got saved is going to go through a fire. And, and what comes out of that fire will be one of two things, either precious stones, which we've learned from Revelation, and that, you know, you've heard people say, oh, I bet you'll have a few gems in your crown, but, you know, it's never anything to, to wear on your head. The first thing you and I will do with our precious stones and our crown will be to lay them at his feet. Because we know anything good that has come from our lives is something we want to give back to him because he did it, not us. But he's very clear saying, but if it comes out as, you know, like, like you know, wood or, or straw or, you know, things that just go up in flames right away and then what, what comes out is just a bunch of ash... And that's when it's going to be tough, because I think to myself, because we don't hear about Lot again. His life, really, is wasted. It's for nothing. And we might see him, I mean, I think we'll see him in glory. I mean, but, but look what Paul says. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. So what comes through and survives like our crown or jewels or whatever, you know, then we will get a reward. And, and I don't know what that reward will be. I mean, it'll be good enough for me if he says to me, he calls me by name and says, well done, and welcomes me in and gives me a smile and a hug. That's good enough for me. But we're going to have rewards. But then he says, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the fire or through the flames. That should haunt us. That should really kind of wake us up to think that, you know, make us, what am I doing with my life? He did so much. And, and you know, what, am I still so consumed with I want to do what I want. There's so many people that say that they don't want, they don't want the Bible to tell them what to do. They, they want to be in charge. And yet, how can, we said last week, how come it's so serious when you, when you laugh in God's face? Why is laughing in God's face so serious? You know, because that's basically what Sarah did. She laughed in his face. And that, was, that meant she doubted who he was and what he could do. Remember we said that doubt means that that you lack conviction, you you really don't believe, and that doubt word is horrible. And I think to myself, you know, Lot, you're gonna stand in front of Jesus someday, and yeah, you might have you might have gone there by the skin of your teeth, you believed. You followed the requirements. But that step two is vital because we will stand. And step two is what are we doing with our lives after we're saved? And, and only because of what Paul says, you're going to stand in front of your Savior and you're going to hand him one of two things. And it's going to be pretty shameful and humiliating when you have a pile of ash and you put him in those nail-scarred hands. 
So, you know, when you, when you read a story like this, that's repulsive. But then you go to what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. It is a wake-up call that while we have time, I mean, it's too late for a lot. But we have learned these stories are in there for the Lord to say, wake up. And then to watch in the New Testament, Paul deals with it too, saying you've got to think about after you're saved, what are you doing with your life? So, verse 9, back to chapter 19. They kind of made a fool out of that. Because these, these guys, these, these men, young and old, they, they said, get out of our way. Get out of our way. They, they um, said, this fella here, he, he's an alien. Like, he was raised here. He, he's only been here a while. I mean, he's acting like some big shot at, this, at the city gate, but really, he's not one of us, and he, 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 they kind of put him down. In fact, it's a rule, treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on that and moved forward to break down the door, but the men inside reached out and pulled that back into the house and shut the door. I mean, it, the Lord comes to the rescue again. And to me, that would be something that Locke could not deny. Like, you know, look, Abraham rescued him, you know, and then, and then in, in God's rescuing him, he's just being rescued. You'd think he would wake up and say, boy, I've really messed up with my life here. I mean, there's enough white space for him to be making some different choices. He can, he's got to decide which way he's going to follow. I mean, he's, he's going to have some white space chances here. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old with blindness, that they could not find the door. This is, I mean, this is far from a joke. I mean, it is, you know, sometimes we can laugh, but this is, this is not a laughing chapter at all. But I have to say, I smiled. I thought, you know, this had to be quite a sight. You know, those, those young and old men, you know, they're, oh, they're, they're, they want those two. They want to party with them. And, you know, they're just pressuring, let's get in there, let's get in there. You know, and they, they think they're so big and tough and that. And then all of a sudden they can't see and, and they're, they can't even find the door. Our God comes through. He always shows up at the right time. I mean, you talk about grace and mercy. If you need a little review, grace is Getting what you don't deserve. Undeserved favor, grace, and mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's why the two are so beautiful hand in hand. And you would think he would see that. I mean, it's so right there. The two men said to Lot, verse 12, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? You know, 
listen to this warning. I mean, they're saying, get them out of here. You have anybody else? You got any loved ones? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. Now, do you think there's an interpretation problem here? I mean, this instruction is so black and white. It's going to be destroyed, and so get out of here. So it's not a time for a lot to see. Let's see, what does he mean here? So Lot went out, spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry, get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. If you don't think, here's another lesson. If you don't think God is serious when he gives instruction that is so black and white and understandable and you just kind of laugh in his face and you think it's a joke. I mean, these two, these two doofuses went up in a puff of smoke. Not so funny. With the coming of dawn, Angels urge Lot. So again, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters. Who are I mean, that's all you have left. Take your wife, Lot, and your two girls, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. Again, they warm again. Very understandable, very direct. Verse 16 is so terrible when he hesitated. Like you know better. And he hesitated. That word has when he hesitated, anybody, and but again, what a lesson. Whenever you hesitate, because God has been so clear, so plain, these you know, he had these two angels say, you know. Make no question, have them not doubt, make it so clear. But I have to say this, whenever you and I, we read his word, and it's so understandable, and it's so black and white, and, and we know what he says, and yet you hesitate because, well, no, maybe he didn't quite mean it, or no, it's really not that serious. Whenever you hesitate, that means that you are not walking with him. You do not know. Because anybody who is walking with the Lord is going to hear him and going to hear that instruction, and they're going to obey because he said, I am God Almighty. And when you know that and you're walking with him, you will do it. Any hesitation from any one of us. I mean, I, I, I couldn't... I couldn't help but say to myself, oh, Lot, how could you hesitate? But I think, yeah, but sometimes when I read God's direction, and he is so direct, and I think I stall, I think, yeah, but it might not be what I want, or it might not be the way I planned, or, you know, yeah, but. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters. I'm thinking these two men, these two men had, had four hands between the two of them. 
It's a good thing they, they didn't have any more people. One grabbed two and the other grabbed two. And let them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. They did not get what they deserved. They could have been left there. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Okay, now flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plane. I mean, again, does this sound uh, understandable? Yeah. Flee. Run for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plane. Flee to the mounds or you will be swept away. Just a, just a little sideline. Did you know that in Ezekiel 16, God refers Jerusalem. This is how bad it got in Ezekiel. It, he's, he's used like Jeremiah to warn the kingdom of Judah. You don't shape up and listen and obey. You are going to be taken captive by Babylon. You know, uh, right over their head, they don't listen. God then has Ezekiel write that he associates Jerusalem at that time with Sodom. In fact, he calls the two sisters. I didn't know that. This story, this story is, is used as reference. So if, if scripture is going to use this in other parts, it, it's just, the reason it's in there is to wake us up and see the severity of it and to think that you can't, it won't happen to you, that there's no way that you can get sidelined. I'm telling you, if you if you're hesitating to really heed God's word and obey what it says, just because maybe you don't feel like it or want to or whatever your reason, I'm, you are so far you you are backslidden, and it happens. It happens to the best of people sometimes. But boy, a story like this should really make us sit up and take notice and say, what kind of life am I building on the foundation of the cross in Jesus Himself? If you think you can handle your own life and do the way you want to do it, I mean, you just got to take a look at Lot and you think, look what, look what you are able to do, the audacity of it. In, in um, Luke 17, you know, we'll, we'll see this in uh, when, when Lot's wife looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. But, you know, Jesus refers in Luke 17 to that very thing. Don't forget Lot's wife. He says that. Don't forget what happened to her. Which she had very good instructions. Don't look back. Don't love the world so much that you, you want to hang on to it. Don't, don't forget Lot's wife. And then he continues after he says that. He says, anybody who who wants to keep his life here will lose it. 
And he who is willing to lose his life here will find it. But he precedes that familiar, you know, we all know that verse, but he preceded it by saying, don't forget Lot's wife. You know, it's just so sad when you think he had such, you know, remember weeks ago I said, ah, I'm even kind of wondering if he was supposed to go along with Abraham to begin with. But yet, even though whether that's yes or no, I guess it's my own opinion, but um, yet I think he had so many chances. You know, he was so shallow. He was so weak. And yet God was always there, you know, prodding him along, giving him these opportunities. And, and his life, is, like I said, is just is so wasted. But now, you know, after this, after this, you know, these two men grabbing him and making him safe now, you know, another opportunity, you know, now run for your lives, go to the mountains, don't stay in the plains, don't look back. I mean, again, so direct. But look at verse 18. Look at the word that starts that. But Lot said to them, I mean, what do you think? It would be running like crazy. They have a chance. They have a, they've been saved from this. Because of mercy, they're saved. They can, they can go, go run, do what God says to do. But no, no, lots of no, my Lord, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me by sparing my life. I mean, he admits what they've done, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. And they, what is your problem? You're whining? You don't want to go that far? You don't want to climb the hill? I can't make it. It's gonna, I'm going to die. Look here. Look, he says, look here. There's a town near enough to run to. I don't want to run that far, but how about this little town here? It's small. Let me flee to it. Then my life will be spared. I'm sure these two men, I bet they're shaking their head like, but he said to them, very well, I will grant this request to, I mean, this is what Lot says to the Lord. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to run that far up of this little town. I mean, but yet this little town is in the plain that they were told, no, this is all going to be destroyed. But no, the Lord graciously, very well, I'll grant this request, will not overthrow the town. But flee quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. This should have changed Lot's life forever. I mean, that he would have thought, wow, I mean, he is so blinded. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land, and the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. What a sight that must have been. Thus he overthrew those cities, the entire plain, including living in the cities, those who were living there with the vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I mean, that was a sight. 
your two son-in-laws, you watched it, 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 Sodom and Gomorrah just totally went up in flames, flames that came from heaven. They're gone, and now your wife, she didn't listen. There she is in a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he stood before the Lord, the place where he said, well, Lord, how about 50, 45, 40? I mean, you know, that's when he had this talk, and he watched the Lord do what he said. There was less than 10 people there, and so destroyed. He looked down. And he saw toward the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. Do you wonder what he thought when he was standing there after knowing and, and talking with the Lord about the numbers and how evil and how God said, I'm getting rid of it, I'm destroying it. And then he watched it happen. You know, I one one of my favorite men to go to when I just kind of wanna I have a thought that I'm thinking. I always kind of want to check to see how how Charles Spurgeon looks at it. I can't wait to talk to him someday. I think we're gonna get along great. But he had he had a thought on this, and he said what Abraham was thinking. Is, is what we will be thinking when God does what he said he's going to do. And he, on Judgment Day, evil will be banished and hell will be opened. What, what do you think Abraham was thinking? What will we be thinking when we are confronted with God doing what he said he was going to do? And he warned, and it was clear message, and there was there's no question about what he meant. And you can blame someone else, or you can say, "Well, I didn't know that's what he meant," and all that. No, he no. And I think that's why in Revelation, he you know he says that I I, I never could understand it, but when he closes Revelation by saying, "And those who are vile, let them be vile." I mean, when I have spent 66 books in many, many ways trying to tell you how you can be saved and how Jesus fulfilled, fulfilled the, the sacrifice and I accepted it and, and you can be saved if you just follow my terms. I mean, you can't get it any plainer. And if you don't want to comply, well, then if you want to be vile, go be vile. I have nothing more to say. But when, when we look at that, when God shows, and it happens just the way he says it, and Abraham, he said, what? Spurgeon said, we should be standing there, humbled to a pulp, and grateful that we heard the message, that we were able, that he was willing to, to take us just as we were and save us. And that we did believe that he meant it. So the words humility and gratefulness was probably going through Abraham's mind. 
so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Saved him. He saved him again. Rescued him again. You don't even need the word grace in there, but you can see it. Now, the last part of this chapter. I mean, there are really no words to <laughs> describe what this is, but uh, in fact, I can't even read some of them out loud. <laughs> but Lot and his two girls, that's all he's got left. And, and so they left sore. See, it's a, this is another proof that he is not walking with the Lord and his girls. I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't attest for them at all. I mean, what an example their dad was. I mean, well, so now it's just Lot and the two girls, and now he's scared to death. He wanted to go to Zor before. Now he can't wait to get out because he was afraid to stay there. You know, what was he afraid of? I mean, he was probably afraid that someone would recognize him and, or whatever. He, he just, I don't know, he just was afraid. And we know that when you're walking with the Lord, you're not afraid. But never once in this chapter 19 do you hear that any of this in the white space, when he had so many chances that he could have gone to God and said, boy, I have really, really backslidden. Let me, let me build an altar so I can make that relationship with you back again. I can, I can confess and repent, and I can then know that you will allow, you will take me back. I will surrender myself to you again. He needed an altar so bad. And he had chances here, but now no, he's fearful. So they, him, the, him and the girls, they, they live in a cave. And then, then the two girls, this too shows, what, what are you thinking? You know, one day the older daughter said, younger, our father is old and there's no man around here to lie with us as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. Boy, they're smart enough to think that, but how pathetic. Look at this chapter. I mean, you've got you've got um, homosexuality. You, you've you've got incest. You, you've you've got the worst. This is what sin looks like when it's not dealt with. You know, I was thinking. You know, they don't have anything. They fled to Zor. You know, I don't know how long they really stayed there. I don't know. But, but you know, they, they fled Zor now to them, you know, and settled in the mountains. I'm thinking, where did you get that wine anyway? You know, you don't want to get me going on that subject again. You've already heard my stance on that. But I'm thinking, it just proves my point. 
of all the things they carry from Zor to the mountain. They can't run. He can't run in the mountain. You know, he can't run to the mountain because, oh, I'm going to, you know, I got to go to a closer place. You know, now they're running to the mountain and they're carrying all these bottles of wine. And they're smart enough to figure out, you know, I'm, I think, well, you know, at least they know that Lot would have said no. So they got to get him snockered to the point that he doesn't even know when the girl came in. And when he, when the girl left, he, he says he didn't, he didn't even know. He didn't even know. That night, they got their father to drink wine. The older daughter went in and played with him. He was not aware of it. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. I'm watching some of you and you're just shaking your head. I know. I did that too. I don't know what to say. Except this is what this is what evil looks like. <laughs> this is what this is what happens when you don't recognize the foundation you were given, the, the cornerstone, the the opportunity, the lifestyle that God has given us through his word when I have you raise your Bibles and say, this is your instruction manual. This is God Almighty speaking to you and he wants you to follow it. And if you don't, I mean, if it can happen to a lot, it can happen to any one of us. And you love the world so much. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, last night, I lay with dad. Let's, let, let's get him drunk again tonight, and you can go in. You know, I'm thinking, too, did they time this right with her cycle and everything like that? I mean, you know, for a woman, you're thinking, it's just wrong. And they're plopping. And their purpose was what? Oh, we got to continue the line. We got to continue our dad's line. The sad thing about it is, look at the line. Look what happened. Both girls got pregnant, sure, and the older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. The other daughter had a son and named him Ben Omni which turned into the Moabites and the Ammonites, two of the greatest enemies and obstacles of God's people. I mean, we've had some pretty touchy lessons in the last weeks. No wonder people don't want to, want to do um, Genesis. I had so many people tell me in this lesson, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know that all happened. I mean, I know she turned into a pillar of salt, but that's all. But I didn't know all that. And you know, you think God put that in there for a reason. And it is a wake-up call. But I, I promised the Lord and myself that when, I, when, I, when we did this lesson, that I would just have Jesus through it all. Because this chapter shows this is what without a walk with the Lord, without working at this relationship with him and taking it seriously and, and knowing that you're going to see him face to face someday and what you're doing with your life now is going to determine. I mean, we've got to know these things. 
so we end this lesson in such a terrible way, but yet, oh, the hope we have. And I thought, how should I end? Can you, can you just sing this chorus with me? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin, oh, sin left a crimson stain, and yet his blood was so powerful that he now washes us whiter than snow. There's always hope. Always hope with our Savior. But yet we need to learn. We need to learn these stories to the reality of our world and the love of this world where it can take us. So something to think about. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And even in such tough lessons and such tough chapters, and you wonder why we needed to see this, and that is because you love us, and you, you want us to just get so, so into this. We know that if we, if we get spiritually lazy, if we don't build and, and work out our salvation, if we, we really want to make sure that we have something to give to you when we see you face to face. Father, it is just, it's just so clear if we're willing to look. Yeah, you require, you require um, a certain lifestyle from us. And you also have made it very clear of lifestyles that you don't approve of. But Lord, we all stand as sinners in need of a Savior. And so, Lord, we are grateful tonight. We're grateful that you made a way possible when you didn't have to. Lord, help us not to waste that gift. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, who paid it all and all to him we owe. Pray in his name. Amen.